Bird Cover Open Book. Welcome to the Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Dina Serrano. I have in the studio today, Neely Tchaikovsky. He is a poet, a prize-winning poet, a prolific poet, a fabulous poet, an editor, anthologizer, and the writer of many poetic biographies of other poets. It's really a pleasure to have him today and to have him share his poetry with you. Welcome. Welcome, Neely. Thank you for having me. It's pleasure. a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me, too. I always love to hear your poems. And I'm always surprised by the quantity and the quality of the poems that I get on email from you so frequently. It seems like something happens in the world and you have a poem about it no sooner than I have just learned that it happened. Well, you know, I listen to my own voice and I never try to write a poem. Let's say 90% of the time I don't try to write a poem. I simply listen to a voice that demands that I sit down and write. So do you have fixed writing times where you sit down and write every day? No, I've never had a fixed time. It's always depends on the mood of the moment. That's why I carry a notebook with me, although I complete my poems on the computer. And how did you begin writing poetry? Well, I think it was a way to be uh, independent when I was like 12 or 13. I think I was 12 when I wrote my first three poems. One was on Buddha. One was on Mohandas Gandhi, and one was on Africa, just the notion of Africa as, as the other. And I remember that very clearly, and it was a way to be independent. I could do this on my own. No one was over me, and that's been the way it, it is since then. You are a very independent poet. I know you as that because of being part of the Revolutionary Poets Brigade together and hearing or rather reading all the correspondence going back and forth. And you don't always go with the mainstream. You don't always follow the politically correct line of the others. You go your own way, and it's always quite insightful and quite beautiful. And I wonder if you could read us some of your poetry today. Yes, and I'll say to that, I, I am independent, and so many of the things in the world, we choose to cry for one group, sometimes over another. We choose to kneel down in darkness because of something that's happening in one part of the world while in another area of the planet. It's just as bad, if not worse. And then in the, at the same time, there's so much to celebrate. You know, I do write political poems now and then. Most of my poems are not so much that. Here's a poem for my dog Cosmo. This will be in a new book. The poems I brought today will be in a book called Spent Shadow. It's a, a new collection of poems from R.L. Crow. It'll be out in the fall. Cosmo. One white rose blooms on the bush in memory of Cosmo, who is alive in a city of the gods. Where he runs, off-leash, go be a dog forever. So that's a real short poem in memory of my 15-year-old dog who died. I'm so sorry to hear that, yeah. and I want people to know that they're listening to Neely Tchaikovsky reading his original poetry that will be appearing in his new book. Okay, I can read Fragments of Loss. Then there was a wet staircase... Near temples made of glass, I cradle the fragments of loss. You're still the man in a winter's night, tangled in my body, 
at the point of no return. Stronger now, older now than we were back then. San Francisco is an island. So many men I know died or broken. So much warmth I press my eyes against the sky. You should see today. See today how I hold on. What I've come to know. And how I step aside. Come find my garden and the bamboo. Reliable rhythms of light and shadow. A lemon tree by the flowering plant I bought in Berkeley 20 years ago. It came in a small planted pot. I hide in folds of time. This is called espresso noise. Strong coffee in the center of a quiet piazza where beautiful tributes come gently and unobtrusively into view. Espresso noise, clatter of ceramic cups on ceramic plate, shatter of students and professors from the university halls. It is late, but the day seems unaware, and the server drives me crazy with his good looks. He told me that the observatories have seen strange bodies in the distance and points to a spot past the Renaissance Tower. I notice the hair on his arms and his way of serving double espresso and how he accepts a probing heart. Way up in outer space, how many open-air cafes and conversations on chemistry and metaphysics. The dragon fights to charge out of the sky. This is my book of poems, I tell the server, pushing it forward as I take the caffeine and its thick crema. I imagine his hairy thighs and muscular franks as I get no sleep listening to the spheres piled on the cosmos. I touch his wrists for a moment. Excuse me, on Dasadoro, Venice, Italy, double espresso, gorgeous poison. And you still frequent coffee shops. Absolutely. And I like being able to end this poem with gorgeous poison. And that incident, I was sitting with a group of poets and professors from the University of Venice and uh, some poets visiting, one from Canada, a couple from England. So it was a whole group of us. And uh, in the midst of that, this came out. And then when did you write it? Did you write it right there in the circle? I wrote that about a, a year and a half ago, maybe a couple days later after the event. But I may have taken notes for it. I keep many notebooks. They're never completed poems. They're just notes for poems. So it may have come from that. And then do you keep the notebooks in some kind of rational order so that you can easily find these? Or? No rational order for anything, no. <laughs> so there's just your study areas full of piles of notebooks and yeah. you grab one up at one well, time, open to a miscellaneous page and you see the notes and you say, oh, it's time to write that poem up? Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of my older notebooks are at UC Berkeley in my, with my papers and they're not that legible. The newer ones are more legible easier to uh, recognize but maybe i keep it in havoc on purpose you know just like then you discover things and when you put a book together how do you go about that well this new book for example i read a couple poems from already i call it spent shadow and it's like it sounds almost negative but a spent shadow means there's going to be light coming and the inspiration for that was the first book ezra pound wrote in venice uh, called a lume spento a fading light or a spent light, it has that kind of nuance to it. 
So I thought, why not a spent shadow? Probably thinking of when I used to go camping and the afternoon would fold slowly in the night and the sun would run away and you couldn't get it back. And it's like that, but you know it's going to rise again at dawn. So I tried to build the poems around that, largely around the idea of turning 69 and what all that means. Well, you began that book, or at least this reading from that book, with the death of your dog. Right. Well, it's a very short poem and one I like a lot. And, uh, you know, go be a dog forever. You know, what more can you say to a little animal familiar that you had with you over the years? And that's the joy of having a dog is when they're acting like a dog. He was 80 pounds and now I have a seven and a half pound dog. So (laughs) it's quite a difference. Is it a Chihuahua type? Chihuahua Jack Russell mix. And so as this book develops, where it starts with the death of Cosmo, how does it move in well, towards actually, the it, light? Actually, it starts with the poem about being 69. Cosmo's just a few pages in. Oh. Because the most important thing to me was the passage of time. I have one book called Leaning Against Time. Another one is from the canyon outward. They all speak a movement. Movement over space is also movement over time. And now time seems to be closing in. So, please continue with the other poems. Here's one called Notes from a Mirror that I'm particularly fond of. Still unable to talk about those men who picked me up on Highland Avenue around the time Lee Harvey Oswald shot President Kennedy. Still not sure why I didn't disappear forever into the brown mountains and never come down. I hung with winos and crazed roofers and worked out my drinking in a North End bar, playing table shuffleboard and haggling with Lou, who ran the bar and put down his brother, who wrote a best-selling novel. Lou would curse while cleaning the counter with his green rag, eyes drooping, mouth watering, voice going hoarse. Lou had lost the tournament. And I was young and willing to listen. The others drank their glasses of 25-cent beer. I grew better able to listen with each drink. There was a war taking place down in the doldrums, a really bad war, where entire populations were butchered by American planes. But Lou just kept on cleaning, spilling beer and whatever, He sold salted nuts as well, and I had failed the physical at the induction center. So time is a pain after all. And men go down, every one of them finally, swilling beer, drinking cognac. I guess the work is not a playful place. And that the rich young men I see now taking possession of the beautiful shoreline and all the ghost neighborhoods are going to follow Lou into the crypt one day. Finally, it's March 2014, and Lord Byron has been sleeping for a long time. My father died at 95, my mother aged 70, Aunt Marilyn died in poverty, Uncle Al had a heart attack at 73, yet I find... The days are not so angry when you sit back and dream of floating into the ether. The moon is full. I'll write in its honor. So that was an important poem for me because I think it covers a lot of territory. 
plainly written language and brushes up against the idea of mortality and accepts it in the end with the positive note on the moon. It was there long before man and his works and will be there long after we're gone. Well, do you have a closing poem for mm-hmm. us? Yes. I'll read a poem called Cherry, and it's in memory of my uncle Herman Cherry, who was a New York abstract expressionist. Just to find a good cigar down by Chinatown, when people still spoke a recognizable neighborhood slang, to pass the killers of language, to stand on the tomb of Alexander Hamilton while ghosts ride over the boulevards, and you make a monoprint on this painted territory and pour a glass of whiskey on the threshold of an ashtray. We dine in a Chinese restaurant with a massive guy who paints men in hoods with cigarettes dangling from their red lips, and a composer who dances on a piano, and an artist with a finely chiseled face. He banished women in violent poses. He walks to Montauk on a blue highway. You struggle out of yourself. The fine line is green. The red line is yellow. They point into the deep psychology of shapes born in shadow. Your paintings are turned to the wall, so I peek at midnight, tiptoeing past you to the sky and the wreckage of words and feeling. Light is born from the odor of these streets in the crowded city, known for its galleries stuffed with Jews and Italians and African Americans and the rich and poor. So silly to see it, so alive to be it, so in, outside of it. What can you do when you are no longer standing with a light on Mercer Street south of Houston, advancing to the canvas and retreating to your mother? We create in exile and live in exile. You should see the grand malfunction at every level, the turn and twist and ease of art and ease of the word and the difficulty one encounters. Now what is left What time is it now? Morning, I imagine. Yes, an idea is to remain and to forget nothing. Thank you. You've been listening to Neely Tchaikovsky reading his original poetry. Could you tell us the publisher and where people can find this book once it's printed? Yes, this book's from R.L. Crow. It's called Spent Shadow, and you could get it at, you know, many bookstores in the Bay Area. I know City Lights will have it, Bird and Beckett Books, and I'll be doing some readings around the uh, area with the book. Well, we'll be excited to hear about the readings. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Neely Tchaikovsky. Thank you again. The following poem is by former San Francisco Poet Laureate Jack Hirschman. Emergence I came out of it knowing I had to learn death by heart. You showed me the lines in my very own brow. I was never very good at reading by heart. I need to have a score in my hand because... I see now, it was too much for me to memorize death with a big open breath. I needed to bend and bow. I needed to run my tongue along the ground of the here and now and taste my son who died before he could know 
he'd be delivered in the form of a letter written in ink, invisible to everyone but me, and embrace me as I lift my eyes and raise my voice and say, I saw you there. It was impossible not to recognize you, and I embrace you in return. This is sort of an ironic poem. It's called American Poetry. Masood asked me for 50 cents squatting above his pennies on a piece of cardboard on the sidewalk. I give him it. Tom doesn't want the People's Tribune I sell in the saloon, but gives me a buck which buys four copies for four homeless people. I give the buck, maybe because Tom didn't want the paper, to a guy fishing into a trash can for some food. Just couldn't help it. Letitia needs money for her and baby Sunra sitting in the cold outside the Cafe Roma. I give her a buck and a PT. Paul buys a PT in the Cafe Trieste and gives me five dollars for five weeks. That's fifteen copies for the homeless. JT, who I loaned a couple to last week, gives it back. Warren, who reads Eisenstein and Lenin in Kerouac Alley beside a begging can, buys the PT and the politically advanced ex-Panther and ex-Con tells whoever happens to be standing or sitting down with him to buy one too. I could go on and on, and I will. And now I'll read, uh, it's called The Oksana Joksarova Arcane. One. How many before, and not meaning how many have died of capitalism in its wars, in its streets, at the borders of its myopic xenophobias. How many haven't simply died, but have been murdered by its greed, its bullet-happy cops, by injections of its drugs into the screaming veins of its children. Ever since evil was declared good, and the body, soul, and the price of a peace reasonable in the tenderloin of your sinner city, your serenading of serendipity, ho, 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 what fun, what fanny fun, what immense quartz of desolate expenditure, wherein a bra is a sister of a bro, and a bro is the cuss when she intones how many before? We've had it up to higher and higher, and now we're going to get rid of it at last. Two. Do you remember the simplest thing in your life? Or doesn't it mean anything to you anymore? I want you to think about the first time you fell in love. The first kiss which made you feel you were no longer a child. You felt like you wanted the whole world to be as you felt that moment. You felt the whole world as a poem at liberty all over and everywhere was feeling just as you and your friend were. There was no difference. Everything was one thing and that thing was the world and the kiss and the poem, and they all were no different than the sun. Three. Oh, world, you're all I've known since I opened my eyes eighty years ago and found myself in you at your breast and have never not had you with me and all my senses 
as I near the final branch of this multifoliate tree, you've let me climb, write, and perform my lives on and in. To many loves and imaginings, I've stood with Basho, quote, watching roses of Sharon disappear into the mouth of a horse. Seen the seam of a baseball unstitched by the teeth of an iguana hungry for sisal. And under everything there's been just one thing I've lived all this for. To have the tooth of war fall out, dying the death it's deserved for all the centuries I can remember. Only this time, as we realize, the peace now with us is the feeling of that first kiss as the poem of a humanity that's meant to be. I put war under my pillow like that tooth, and from the dime I find tomorrow morning, I'm going to overthrow capitalism with all my might. You just heard Jack Hirschman, former San Francisco Poet Laureate, founder of the Revolutionary Poets Brigade, translator, poet, and activist. The following poem is by me, Nina Serrano, from my book, Heart Songs, Collected Poems by Nina Serrano, 1969-1980, to which is available through my website, ninaserrano.com. The poem is Lolita Lebron, Puerto Rican Independence Fighter. Back, back, back. To New York in the 50s. They were the times of hate, the times of fear, the witch hunters flying down from town to town, from Washington to the electric chair where the Rosenbergs sat. On their execution day, people stood in solidarity. The minutes till their death counted over the loudspeaker. Ten, nine, the police cutting the microphone. Person by person relay, the word was passed like a whisper heard by thousands. The chant of life's last moments, eight runs through the crowd, then seven, the song of resistance, six, five, no names, four, three, two, shock, electric shock, and then they were dead. Those were the times of fear, times of hate. Teachers signing loyalty oaths, fear that they may not teach what the system would preach. Front page headlines naming communists, banning books, witch hunters flying in the moonlight. The people were picking up the tab. It was all on the expense account. Have plain fare will testify, the professional witnesses trained by Judas. And will you name names? And will you name names? Names on blacklists, attorney generals lists, subversive activities lists. Didn't you belong to this committee? Didn't you sign that petition? Didn't you spend many years in the company of a suspected communist who was your mother? Smith Act trials and jailings. Are you now or have you ever been? And will you name names and will you name names? 
the witch hunters flew to the world of make-believe. The movies, the pictures, the stars, the Hollywood ten. Not me, couldn't be. Then who? Point your finger at your ex-wife, your enemies, and you can keep on making payments on your swimming pool and winning prizes. And will you name names? And will you name names? Those who didn't went to jail. Take the key and lock them up. The witch hunters flew in the dark and repressive 50s, the 20th century just about halfway through when the Taft-Hartley Act tied knots around the picket line, binding union power, purging unions with are you now or have you ever been? Do you think he is? What did she say and to whom and when? Labor and management must become one happy family signing sweetheart contracts. But it was hard to have a happy family on such a lousy salary where Lolita worked. The machine whirred in the garment factory. The faster, the better. The fewer stitches to the inch, the greater number of workers per square foot. Pay them by the piece. Clothes are going to make it big this year as we go from wartime shortage to the new look of the consumer society. Skirts were longer again. Women left the wartime plants for flower pots in the kitchen. Homework. I want to do homework instead of an office. I want to work home. Lolita worked in one of those factories where bits of thread floated through the air. The benches by the sewing machines filled with the latest immigrants, porinqueños, puertorriqueños, migrating when there was no work, no harvest, when the colony was squeezed so hard it spit out its population. Lovely island of cocoa palms and sea, wet song of the rainforest, Pepsi-Cola hits the spot, mingles with tropical laments, Lali lo le lo lai, lali lo le lo lai, Lolita looked at the moon on hot nights from her tenement roof. She saw the witch hunters fly by, but paid them no mind. Her mind was on cutting the chains, tying her greed island to the greedy mainland, pouring concrete on her country's fertile land building military bases and factories, sucking its rum and sugarcane. She was set on freedom. She would bet on freedom. Take a chance that the world would know her dream. Crazy loca, they called her, when U.S. bombers are blasting Puerto Ricans and U.S. citizens don't even know about it. What can one isolated act do? She made her plan with three others. They needed a gun to shoot off the word. The word had to be heard. Puerto Ricans wanted their independence. Are you sorry for what you did, Miss Lebron? I am not sorry for anything I do to free my people. And you, Irvin Flores, and you, Andres Figueroa Codera, and you, Rafael Cancel Miranda? No, we are not sorry what we do to free Puerto Rico. No need to name names. I take responsibility for all, she said in her accented English. Elvis Presley howled, I'm nothing but a hound dog, and the shake, rattle, and roll of the yeah, yeah, yeah was creeping into the music, and the witch hunters flew straight into the fires of the thaw of the Cold War. Jukeboxes turned their colored lights on. TV sets filled every tract home and tenement. 
Cars filled every street and parking lot. The air turned black. Peace in Korea. War in Vietnam. Always war. The witch hunters were howled out of town by crowds of demonstrators, protesters. The witch hunters circled around and landed safe in their offices. Lolita went on a hunger strike to back up the prisoners' rebellion at Attica. Meanwhile, freedom is a constant struggle, and the witch hunters are just waiting, waiting, waiting for you. This has been Nina Severno with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, to hear other programs, poems, and a listing of my upcoming events. Thanks for listening. Our radio station is about discovery. KPFA's mission is to create alternative news, culture, and public affairs programming that are both fulfilling and unpredictable. Fulfilling, satisfying our listeners' expectations that KPFA will continue to speak truth to power. Unpredictable, to constantly surprise and delight you. To inspire every listener to dig deeper and discover something new. That's why people say... I heard it on KPFA. Somani Sengupta, a veteran correspondent for the New York Times, won the prestigious George Polk Award for Foreign Reporting. She's just published an insider's compelling book on India today. Somani will present her views of the world's largest democracy on Tuesday, March 22nd at St. John's Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, 2727 College Avenue. Advanced tickets available through brownpapertickets.com or supportive independent bookstores.